This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. I want to invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, starting with our passage of the Fruit of the Spirit, as we do each week. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you want to use the YouVersion app on your phone or tablet, you can open up the app, search under events for Parkview Finley, and find scripture and sermon notes there for our sermon this morning. Now, we have been talking about this challenge of memorizing this whole passage together. Last week we had a pop quiz. Today, you probably you're just expecting what's coming. It's like the PSAT. It's just a, a, a preview of the score you would get if this were an actual test. Uh, if you want to say these words out loud with me, practice, test yourself. You're going to have to not look at the screen. I get the joy of having my back to the screen, so I can't cheat. And I'm going to do better than I did last week. Let's start together here in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Fantastic. I heard most of you. I heard some of you. Way to go. If I had gold stars, I'd come around and just... But I don't, so we'll just have to enjoy the victory of knowing that we made it through together, and then I didn't mess up and have to look like I did last week. Now, this week, we're going to talk specifically about goodness, and as I was thinking about what goodness stands for, wholesomeness, family kind of quality, and it's the 4th of July weekend, the fruit that I've been thinking about is watermelon. The fruit of goodness is water. This is good. It's a, it's a snack and a drink at the same time. As soon as you start eating, it turns to liquid. It provides wholesome family entertainment. Did you go out on the, in the backyard and have a seed spitting contest? I said speed sitting contest in first service, which I think I would also be good at, but uh, a seed spitting contest. And I haven't, honestly, I don't think I've done that since COVID. Because, well, not because, but I know that in our family, most of those contests turn into a seed fight where we spit seeds at each other. And I'm just not sure how that falls with, you know, on people. It's probably not a great idea. Anyway, if your family's like ours, you end up in a battle with seeds. Right now, I want to I talk more about this, this, this idea of the, the fruit of the Spirit. We've been, we've been evaluating each of these fruit, moving through a week at a time. It's kind of a slow pace, but I really enjoyed the, the discovery, the, the understanding, the learning that, that, that takes place through all of that. And uh, one of the things we haven't done yet, we haven't looked at the context uh, of, of Scripture that the, the fruit of the Spirit come out of. And, and that's really important for us to, to understand the truth of God's Word accurately, to evaluate what, where a passage comes from Scripture, the words that come before, the words that come after, understand the author and the audience, the environment in which it was written, the intention. Uh, that's critical to accurately understanding Scripture. It's a, it's a necessity, and so I want to make sure we do that. We're going to back up and begin reading in verse 13 to hear more from Paul about the, the message that he had for the Christians in Galatia, the reason why he wrote about these fruit. So let's, let's read together beginning in verse 13. 
Here's what he said. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And from there, he went on to say, the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, then, is... We all know that, obviously. Uh, Paul's writing here to the, the Christians in Galatia it is significant. It, it's important. Understanding the difference between the desires of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and he began this instruction reminding the believers there that they had been set free from sin by the power of, of Christ. Set free from sin. For those who belong to Christ, the sin no longer has hold in our lives. That's the, that's the freedom we enjoy. That as we're set free, Christ broke the hold of sin. The, the, the hooks of sin. The, the, the binding nature of sin that, that wraps us up and keeps us perpetually involved in sin. We've been set free from that. We've been set free from sin, which means we no longer have to be limited by the fear associated with perpetual sin. The fear that comes from, from keeping sin going in our lives and, and being worried that people are going to find out about what we have behind closed doors. We don't have to worry about that fear. We've been set free from that by the power of Christ. Now, that fear is produced by, by wanting to hold on to sin and knowing that if people find out what, what, what's going on behind closed doors, that it's going to be significant difficulty. So we're, we're deceptive, and sometimes we weave a web of lies that we, we always have to be afraid it's going to crack and people are going to discover the truth. We've been set free. We've been set free from the hold of sin, the, the fear that's associated with perpetual sin, and the punishment from sin we've been set free from. But Christ died to make payment for our punishment. And we no longer have to be concerned about it. punishment that is due because Christ paid that. Now, that does not mean that we no longer have consequences for our sin. That's not the same thing. The punishment has been paid, but there are still consequences. Every word, every action bears with it consequences, and we cannot have those just wiped away. We have to live in, own, work through, and resolve the consequences that come because of our behavior. But we do know that in the future, the, the punishment that is due for sin has been paid by Christ. We've been set free from that. And so Paul says very clearly, you've been set free from sin, and that freedom provides us the opportunity to make our own decisions. So don't, don't go back to what you've been set free from. Don't, don't 
now that you, the chains are off, the, the, the cell door is open, don't go back in prison and close and lock the door and put your hands back in chains. Don't go back to sin. Live in the new life that you've been given. Get, live in the freedom that you've been given by the power of Christ. Make wise decisions. Oh, Paul's not saying that we'll never make mistakes, but he insists that we choose the way of the Spirit rather than the way of, of desire. What we, what we learn from his teaching is that the Spirit opposes the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit opposes the desires of the flesh. And there will always be this conflict between those two ways of living, and a conflict that, that resides within us and those two natures at, at war within us, the nature of the Spirit and the nature of the flesh. This conflict is, is played out through our decision-making. It begins with the motivation behind our decisions, the, the drive, the reason why we choose to do the things that we do. It's realized when we actually make those decisions, and then it's fulfilled as the results of those consequences play out. And every, every the results of those decisions play out. Every decision has consequences. Every decision has ramifications, some of them good, rewards, some of them bad consequences. But everything that we do yields some kind of result. And so we see how that decision-making bears out that conflict And what Paul urges us to do is to think specifically about our motivation for the decisions that we make. To, to choose to be driven by the, the fruit of the Spirit instead of being tempted by the desires of flesh. And, and to understand that as we're thinking about that motivation, as we're beginning to make those decisions, that we're really evaluating a, a, a complex organization of, of now and later. Not, not the candy that nobody likes. Uh, the idea that, that things play out here and now and also have results that will, will take place later. And when we choose to be driven by desire, to, to make impulsive decisions, to, uh, to, to take hold of instant gratification, there's going to be payment due for that later. Consequences, results that will be coming. And when we choose the, the way of the Spirit and we choose discipline and submission to the Lord and obedience, there will also be things that come about later, like a close relationship with the Lord, peace and freedom and joy. And, and the things that come later are often intensified. They're felt more strongly than the things that we experience here and now. And even, even when we're indulging in, in pleasures here and now, we know that those, those joys are tempered by the guilt that comes with knowing we're really not supposed to be doing these things. They're diminished by the idea that, that, that punishment is coming or payment is coming for those things. And, and then when those things come about, they're, they're significant and heavy. In the same way, when we think about submission and discipline and obedience, yes, that's, that's what Scripture calls us to, to live by, to honor the Lord. But it's not a burden that weighs us down. It's boundaries that keep us safe. And that usher us into this enjoyment of life, this fulfillment that comes from living in relationship with the Lord. And we have to understand that progression from now into later. The fruit actually provides an excellent example for us to think about in terms of, of now and later. Uh, the fruit begins as a seed that we plant in the ground. And we, we consider the, the environment in which we plant that seed, the, the soil conditions, the pH balance, the moisture content, the, the temperature, everything has to be right for that seed to grow into a plant. And as that plant grows, it has to be cultivated and cared for. And eventually fruit 
will, will sprout, bud, and be produced on that plant. But the fruit isn't yet ready to eat. It still has to grow and develop and mature before we can enjoy it. There's, there's this idea that all of this preparation precedes enjoyment and fulfillment. That's the imagery we have from fruit and the fruit of the Spirit. And when we choose that good life, we know that there's work to be done, conditions that have to be set, commitments that have to be made, discipline. And yet we know that all of that is worth the significant growth that comes. When we choose instead to act on our own desires, we, we may be enjoying those things here and now, but we have to be ready for the impact they have on the future that will be much different. We know this conflict is creating a, a battle within us that we'd like to say we can, we can decide about and be done. We can, we can declare our intentions. I want to live by the Spirit. I don't want to be, be tempted by the desires of the flesh. And I, wanna, I just want to declare my status right now so I no longer have to worry about those temptations. I can just live by the Spirit. We can just claim this title. But that's not how it works. We continually make these decisions every day, every hour, every moment even between indulgence and obedience, between pleasures and fruit of the Spirit, desires. It's a continual process that we have to go through that, that is at war within us, that we overcome and move beyond by the power of the Spirit, by the fruit that He produces in our lives, enabling us to endure and succeed and to be faithful and honor the Lord. And yet we know that those decisions continually have to be made, that Fifth chapter of Hebrews reminds us the difficulty that remains in the lives of Christians, this battle that wages, this decision-making process that we continually have to be a part of. And the writer of Hebrews is addressing a group of believers who struggled, continued to struggle. And those words are pertinent warning to us. Beginning in verse 11, here's what it says. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, milk is necessary, especially for infants. They need it to gain nourishment, whether it's mother's milk or formula, if you can find it. Infants need that kind of nourishment. It's a necessary part of life, but it's not meant to sustain them forever. And as, as we grow out of infancy, we need more substantial kinds of nourishment. I remember when my boys were little, we, we moved through this process, moving from milk to more solid food. We started with, with powdered rice, and we mixed that in with liquid to thicken it up and get them used to swallowing more more substantial things. And as that, they got used to that, then we started adding that mushy baby food that comes in a jar that has more of the things that real food would have, but it's still easy to, to get down. But it, it's, it's helping them develop that, that ability. And as they, their teeth came in and they were able to chew things, we gave them those little, little puff snacks to get used to the idea, little bite-sized things that they wouldn't choke on. And the baby food got, got more... Uh, Less liquidy, whatever you call that. They're little chunks of things. 
And there's more flavor, like real food, but still not quite as good. Have you ever tried baby food? Have you ever eaten out of the jar? Can be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's awful. It's similar to good food, but horrible. And yet, an infant doesn't know yet what it's missing. And that progression is building them up for more, helping them to grow and develop and mature. That's, that's the process that, that happens. And one of the joys of parenthood, for me anyway, was introducing new things to their palates, my, my boys especially, the, uh, of giving them a donut with icing on it, watching them get really excited about the sweetness of a donut, of being in a restaurant with a slice of lemon in my drink and sliding that over onto the, onto the tray just to watch their faces that ate the lemon for the first time. And they're experiencing these new flavors and textures growing, maturing, developing through all of the things that are happening. No child is meant to be sustained on mother's milk or formula perpetually. They're meant to move on to more substantial things. Now, the, the milk was necessary, part of their history, but not something that needed to continue to be a part of their diet. Can you imagine going into a junior high cafeteria and seeing a kid sit among his friends, pull out his lunchbox and have a baby bottle? No food, just a baby bottle. And that's it. It's ridiculous. Can you imagine going into an office and seeing a business person pull out a sippy cup? We just, it's preposterous to think of people depending on this kind of nourishment on into adulthood. These images help us understand the natural progression of spiritual growth that should happen in our Christian lives. And we have to recognize that our spiritual maturity doesn't develop at the same rate as our physical maturity, our emotional maturity, our mental immaturity. Think about this. If, if a 50-year-old person who's not been a part of the church comes, accepts Christ, is baptized, they become a new creation in Christ. They're their old sinful self dies away. They're raised to new life by the power of the Spirit working in them. They're an infant Christian. They're beginning their walk. They are spiritually immature, though physically, emotionally, mentally, very mature. Sorry if you're 50. Somewhat mature. A teenager who's been a Christian for a number of years, physically, not yet mature. Emotionally, very immature, especially if they're a junior high boy. Mentally, immature. And yet, there's a depth spiritually that exists within that young person that surpasses a 50-year-old who's just become a Christian. And we put them next to each other and say, you know, who would you expect to be more spiritually mature? Most of us would say this 50-year-old is probably going to be more mature because in every other way they are. But spiritually speaking, there's a difference that does not equate to their development in other areas. Now, wipe, wipe that imagery away. We'll just erase the board. Now, let's think about an adult person who's been a part of the church their whole lives. They made a decision to accept Christ at a young age. They've, they've been consistent, maybe had a break in attendance for a little while, but they've come back around They're in their late 20s, early 30s, 40s, 50s, wh whatever point they are in life, they've been a believer for decades. What kinds of signs of maturity, spiritually speaking, would you expect to see in someone who has had that, that time, decades of, of experience and growth? What things would you expect to see that would be marks of maturity? They would be 
regular attenders, not only being present, but excited and engaged to worship together with a family of believers and the relationships that take place there. They would have a dynamic, personal, devotional life, consuming God's Word, living according to the disciplines that we read about, studying, growing, excited about what they're learning, praying, spending significant time in conversation with God, They've discovered the, the blessing of, of tithing and how that, how, what growth comes when they, when they submit their finances to the Lord and trust God more than the, the things that they've depended on. They, they're maybe fasting and, and discovering that experience. They're, they're, they're exploring those, those avenues. They're serving consistently, regularly. The, the church and the kingdom giving their, of their, their talents and abilities for God to use for his glory. And they're growing through that experience. Probably at this point, they're leading a Sunday school class, a connect group, a ministry team. They're using what God gave them to, to help others. They're, they're pointing the way and helping other people grow from their relationships, through their interactions. And not only that, but, but there, there is evidence of the things that you can't always see. This, this heart of humility, of genuineness, of generosity, of peace that you can't make up, that you can't discover on your own, that comes from, from time spent in the presence of God. These marks of maturity. Now, here's what Hebrews 5 is addressing. Christian people who aren't exhibiting these marks of maturity. Instead, they're struggling over the basics. Instead of leading and teaching and, and living this dynamic life, they're back at square one. Longing for the, the same kinds of teaching they've been hearing. Struggling in the ways they've always struggled. Now, in, the, in, in, the, in this description, I'm hoping that you've recognized in yourself some of the, the marks of maturity that we'd expect to see in, in a believer who's had years of experience years of growth toward maturity. And you can see what God is doing in your life, what God has done in your life, what he, he continues to, to develop, how he pushes you beyond your capacity, how he grows you by the power of his spirit toward maturity. But I think all of us, every one of us, we need to also see the places in our lives where growth is still needed. And, and open up those areas, submit those areas to let the Spirit continue working, to not let those areas hold us back and, and draw us back to the beginning, but that, that He would push us beyond those and, and help us continue growing toward maturity. Now, there's a tendency that we have sometimes to, to want to remain back at, at the beginning, back, at, back in, that, in that place where, where we, 
we experience the, the excitement and the joy of, of, of hearing the, the gospel message of truth, of the, the change that takes place in a, in a life when, when it's surrendered to the Lord and everything becomes new and different and, and, and ultimately better. And we, we celebrate those moments and we're excited about those. There's a, there's a desire in each of us to, to, to continue pursuing that feeling of joy, of excitement. And, and to chase after that experience again and again and again. And when we feel that excitement start to wane, sometimes we pursue that excitement, that elementary teaching, that, that beginning message about Jesus that's needed, that's necessary, that all of us have to have like, like baby's milk, but it's not meant to be the thing that sustains us. It's meant to be a part of our, our past, part of our experience that we then grow from because it's a part of what we already know and believe. And yet, because of the excitement and joy of it, we keep chasing after it. Maybe we chase after a different message or a different church or a different voice to come back to that feeling because it's right. We desire that. We hunger for it. And yet as we consume it, we still feel empty. We still feel hungry. Maybe that's because we're hungering for something more, not more of the same, but something that we can actually sink our teeth into. Maybe spiritually speaking, you're hungry for steak and potatoes. You're hungry for brisket and barbecue. I, mean, I am. Maybe you want something that you not only can sink your teeth into, but you can keep chewing on, and the flavor's there, and it, it's impacting, and, it, and it, it, you savor it, and you see that it has nutrients in it that you've never been able to get from the milk that you had before. And it's allowing for you to grow in ways that you never could have before. This, this teaching reminds us that the ultimate goal is for us to grow beyond where we were before. The spiritual maturity comes from that growth. And, and, and the Hebrews chapter 5 tells us about this baseline where, where people can stay, but, but it also points us toward this goal of maturity. And what, what the writer tells us is that the distinguishing between good and evil is a mark of that maturity. Now, that's back in the text a little bit, but, but, but learning about the, the idea that we're no longer struggling with this, this beginning idea of overcoming sin and struggling with sin, but that, that by the power of the Spirit, we're moving beyond that struggle. We're not, we're not chasing after that pleasure and joy anymore. We're moving beyond it. We don't, we don't need to hear about grace and needing Christ anymore. We need to move beyond and, and digest some theology, some, some deep material that will engage our minds and draw us to the Lord as we're working toward this idea of maturity. Now, the word that, that's used for maturity is not about growing maturity. It's about the end goal of maturity. It's teleos. And, and it also is used to describe a, a completed project. It's finished. And it, I'm still here. It's fine. And it's also used to describe perfection. Now, all of those things are end goal ideals. All of those things are are what we're striving for, working towards. And, hey, and we're continually reaching for those things. We're not remaining where we were, setting the bar low and satisfied with good enough. If we do that, we're never going to reach for the goal that we're, we're striving for. In order for us to reach that goal, we have to grow. In order for us to reach that goal, we have to, we have to 
build the environment of things that we can stand on and reach for to attain what we're called to attain, that, that idea of maturity, of completion, of perfection, of reflecting the, the character and quality of Christ through our lives. It's an unattainable goal, and yet it is the goal that we're striving for and reaching for, that maturity. That's a reflection of his influence and presence in our lives. It is a difficult thing, not only because of the, the, the battle within us, but it's a difficult thing because there's a battle outside of us as well. And Peter wrote about this battle in his letter to Christians, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning verse 8. Here's what he says. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Now that's a lot to digest. And uh, I'm going to do something today that I don't normally do. This, this passage, you notice, is talking a lot about good, uh, about living for good, about embracing goodness. It's also talking about interacting with people and, and gentleness that's necessary. And, we all, and we've been memorizing the fruit of the Spirit. We know that gentleness is coming in a couple of weeks. And so I want to set up what we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks, we're going to come back to this passage and talk about gentleness. I'm just going to mention it today, and I'm not going to fully explain this passage. I'm just going to stop with the goodness portion of it, knowing that we're coming back to it in a couple of weeks. So just be prepared. You have to come back and hear the rest of the story, uh, but I'm not, going to, I'm not going to put a period on the end of the sentence, so to speak, until we get there. But we do want to recognize that Peter is reminding the Christians as they pursue good, as they pursue the, the fruit of the Spirit, this way of the Spirit, that not only are they going to experience that conflict within themselves, desires and fruit and choices that have to be made, they're also going to experience this difficulty with the world around them. Have you noticed in our world today that it's becoming more and more difficult to stand for good? Now, it's difficult to, to be good and to live for goodness, it's also difficult to take a stand for what's good and what's right. As we seek this fruit of goodness, and we allow the Spirit to develop it in our lives, we're going to find opportunities to express goodness, to talk about goodness, to, to live in that goodness. And Peter wanted to, to remind the Christians he was writing to, and it's a great reminder for us, that as we do that, we need to, to live that goodness. We need to take on that attitude, not just the ideal of truth, but we need to live it also. And we need to recognize that that's going to be difficult. 
And it sounds like it was true in, in the world that Peter was writing to. It's true today. People are ready for an argument, especially when we talk about morality, when we talk about goodness, and we talk about the kind of life we're called to live. And our world today, people have very strong beliefs about what they believe. And even if they don't, they want to fight with you and argue with you about the beliefs that you do feel strongly about. And, and there's this tension, this, this, this aggressiveness, almost anger that's bubbling below the surface. And as we engage in the world, well, what, what I've seen happening is this, this very aggressive posturing of conflict. challenge, not only to what you're saying you believe in, whether it's true or opinion, but also the, the stance you come from and the motivation for why you're saying it. People want to know if you genuinely believe what you believe, probably because they've experienced before someone who was very adamant, aggressively adamant, but not genuine. There are a variety of reasons why they take that posture of confrontation, what Peter's telling us is that when we experience that kind of hostility, even though our natural reaction is to pr prepare to defend ourselves and attack back, that instead maybe we should choose a different posture. Instead of going toe-to-toe -to -toe and nose-to-nose, -nose, instead of raising our voices to match, instead of adding insult to the insults we've received, maybe the best thing for us is to take on this attitude that can only come from something outside of ourselves, the power of the Spirit at work in us, to live in this attitude of goodness that provides for us an opportunity to posture differently with peace and kindness and love and joy added to the goodness that we proclaim. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing. Now, I'm not saying you should back away from an argument. No. But I am saying, when you engage, know who you're engaging. And measure your response. Don't react and respond in kind. Choose instead to stand on higher ground and to demonstrate the truth of what you believe and what you proclaim by the actions of your life and the manner in which you speak the truth that you proclaim. Live what you preach. And do that by becoming the goodness and the love and the grace of the Lord in every interaction that you have. Because goodness highlights the presence of the Lord. Even when it's hard to, to take hold of, even when you don't do it perfectly, when you choose this path, you, you highlight the presence of the Lord. When I, was, when I was young, I was keenly aware of the presence of my parents, especially when I was with my friends, having a good time, making people laugh, and, and my parents would enter into the room. I became very aware of their presence, mostly because my mom had this look that she would give me from across the room. And I knew that no matter what I was doing, I was going to hear about it later and probably be punished for it later. She had this look. Moms, you all have this look. It's not a glare. Moms don't glare. They have the mom look. And from wherever you are to where your kids are, you can express 
every necessary emotion to get them to behave with just a look. It's part of your makeup and DNA as a mother. It works for you, and, and it's needed in a lot of our lives. But I developed, as a young man, this, this let's, let's call it, a fear of what was going to take place after I received that look from my mother. And I received it a lot. Okay, so I would be with my friends having a good time and parents would walk in and I started changing because of the presence of my parents. And becoming a different person when they weren't around than I was when they entered into the room. My behavior changed because of their presence. My attitude changed because of their presence. My posture changed because of their presence. Because I learned that I had to present a certain facade to avoid punishment. Sometimes we develop this, this same system in our relationship with the Lord. And we want to live life and enjoy the things that we're going to enjoy and be with a group of friends and, and engage and respond to them in the way that, that they're behaving. And, and then we, we come to church and we step into the, the presence of God. And, and we choose to present a different set of behavior and action and, and attitude and, and demeanor. Maybe we're, we're with a group of people that, that we, don't, we know they don't go to church with us. They're you know, at work. We're a group of friends. And so we get to be who we want to be. And then we come around a, a, a group of church people and we go to a, a, our connect group and, and then we become a different person. And, and we step in and out of the, the presence of God and we change who we are. And we lose the integrity of living one life and living in the example and living in the, in the goodness of what God is calling us to. And what we miss out on is the, the example that our lives can be for the, the value of the presence of God. When we, when we choose to, to live our lives by the fruit of the Spirit, when we choose to, to embrace the goodness that comes from His work in us and, and live as if we're not just in the presence of a God who's going to punish us for doing wrong, but living in the embrace of a God who loves us, living in the, in the, in the peace and the joy and, and the, the love and the grace that, that we have experienced from God, and it changes us significantly. And, and our entire demeanor makes an impact on the world around us, and they see in us the value of being connected to God. What they, what they see in us is not this oppressive system that they don't want to be a part of. What they see in us is something that they can't find anywhere else. And they long for it because it's what they've been chasing after in every other relationship of their life. And when we honor God and highlight Him by living authentically, consistently in His presence, we invite other people to do the same. We invite other people to discover Him in a way they've never discovered Him before and, and to begin their own relationship with Him. And that's the kind of experience that is made possible when we surrender fully to this process that grows us toward maturity in Him.